0: The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation.
1: Welcome to another edition of NBA Today. Playoff edition, as I've been wanting to say for the last month and a half. My name is Corbin Ford. following me at Corbin MBA. A hoop ball presentation, so make sure to check out hoop ball on Twitter at hoopball tweets online hoop ball.com. I'm joined by a special guest, friend of the pod, SBC alum, personal friend. I can go down the list. Um, host of ball Mavs, Lawrence Brooks. Uh, you can you can find him uh, among other things on Twitter at LB Set It. L B S A I D I T. Lawrence, how you doing, man?
0: Man, I'm good. I'm good. Happy to be here. finally got on a pile with one of my favorite guys, SBC <laughs> alum, like we yes said. Um, long time coming, so i'm I'm excited, man. i'm I'm happy to be here. Glad glad um to be on with somebody that i that I know loves the game. <laughs> yes, sir, hey, always, man, right. right back at you. Obviously,
1: we found the show, and just being a, a SBC alum with you, you that's that's something you have for life. So happy to have Lawrence on here. Um again, he's a complete. NBA uh, savant here, and we're gonna utilize that because we're gonna recap uh, some of these series. Just give our thoughts, kind of pick Lawrence's brain for what he's been seeing, and, and kind of talk about whether my Lakers love is overblown right now. But uh, before we get there, <laughs> let's just start with um, let's start with the Heat and the Celtics. And um, right now, Heat are up two games to one. Boston just came back with a big victory. By the time you hear this, this will be the game, the day of Game Four, Tuesday, the twenty second. What have you seen, Lauren, so far between the Heat and the Celtics and why, you know, although the Heat took a commanding 2-0 lead early, this is still, in my opinion, anyone's series?
0: Um, I think the first thing that stood out to me was was the Miami Heat's physicality in the series. I think it took Boston a little bit of a a moment to kind of adjust to that. Not that they couldn't play through it, but I just think that they were just a little off their spots everywhere on the court all of the places they wanted to be, all of their money areas that they like to score from. It just seemed as if Miami was beating them to the punch and not allowing them to, to get comfortable. And while although the games were, you know, they were they were close. It wasn't it wasn't like it was a blowout until, you know, um, the, um, the Celtics put on that decisive win this very last one. But when it got late in games, late game execution was a little off because they were a little out of the spots. They wanted to get to a little indecisive on what they wanted to accomplish. And so it just showed up. And I think that's why they erupted like they did um, after game two and just being frustrated, not only with um, the Miami heat, but themselves and, and feeling like they were better than what they were performing. But that's what I saw. I just saw, I saw physicality really, dictating the way they were running things and I think that took them a little bit of a time to adjust
1: oh yeah it definitely seemed like that was the case because you're right this entire series at least up to this point although I felt that Boston has been superior aside from you know moments here and there, uh Kemba Walker not being 100% I mean not in terms of health but just in terms of his level of play it does feel like it's been a game of runs and when you look at the stat line you know, it looks like Boston's doing okay for themselves, but then you watch the actual game and you see, like you said, the tempo, the the runs, uh, Goran Draghi, Jimmy Butler, taking moments to exert their will. And then you realize why Miami has a lead because up through this point, at least up through game three, they totally had that control.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I that I feel like is going unnoticed is because Miami is so balanced as a scoring unit, it doesn't necessarily – it doesn't necessarily stop them from playing as hard on defense because, you know, as the old saying go, goes and just natural tendency, the bigger your offensive load, the more it's going to be – the tougher it's going to be to still be as um, physical and, and exert as much energy on defense. But when you have five guys that are all scoring – and knowing on offense that the ball can go to anyone else at any given time, it allows you to lock in defensively in a way that maybe it doesn't allow a Kawhi Leonard or maybe it doesn't allow a LeBron James at times, where guys have to play really hard in spurts. But these guys are all playing really hard defensively because the ball is really equal opportunity on offense. And I think I think that has been a big bonus for them, knowing that they can they can really go to any given person on the floor at any given time.
1: That's true. And I think a lot of that goes after the identity of, of Jimmy Butler, someone who, you know, he's definitely an alpha. He's definitely a top, you know, 20 player in the NBA, but he's not someone that I, or I mean, I don't know your opinion on this, but that thinks that is okay, you know, aside from the big shots, I'm not running Jimmy Butler all game. You know, what I mean, he's going to pick his spots and enforce his will and have a nice stat line, you know, 25, 8 and 4, whatever the case may be. But he's not someone I think of like a Kawhi Leonard or like a, a, um, a LeBron or someone who has their hand on every part of the game that he's a superstar in the sense of he picks when to totally take over, whether that's, you know, relentlessly into the foul line, hitting a three point for the first time in four months or, you know, distributing down to stretch or whatever the case may be. It's a different type of superstar. And I think the Heat take a lot after that. And someone who's kind of a, a lunch pill type of guy, I don't want to use that, um, I guess, stereotype in that way, but someone who, you know, isn't overwhelmingly dominant on his own. But in, like collectively, taking after him, that those intangibles—they—they they really form a dominant team. Where you said it, there's a bunch of different weapons that can hurt you at any time, and that's one I really want to talk to you about first. Was was Goran Dragic? The dude is 34, going to be 35 pretty soon, and it's like he dipped into the fountain of youth before this playoff started because he has just been electric so far.
0: Yeah, I I think you know it wasn't necessarily load management for him for the season because he was hurt a good chunk of the season prior to the shutdown. So one can say he's really just starting to find his stride as a guy who's, who's, you know, customarily plays majority of a season, but this might be with, I mean, I'm not, I I don't have the stat in front of me, Mm -hmm. but I would be shocked. to. I would be shocked to know if this is more than game 70 for him on the season. And, you know, for, and for a regular NBA season, that's, you know, 82 games you know you come into us and for a guy who's been out and then you get to hit your stride this late while also having a built-in um offseason I just think he has his legs under him and he's fresh in a way that he's probably never been this late um into a postseason and not even that he's been playing this late into a postseason so I think you're just seeing a guy who's fresh and having an opportunity to, to thrive late in a year that is very upside down for everyone
1: Mm-hmm. And, and, and you actually said it. he's actually played 71 games on the season so far. So and that, you know, including the playoffs and, and and the regular season combined. So that exactly is what it is. And, you know, and this is crazy, but it's thirty three, thirty four playoff series. You know, he's been in the playoffs four times uh, two years ago with Miami and then the time before the Miami and then before in Phoenix. But this is he's averaging playoff career highs in points in rebounds in assists or not in rebounds, in points, in assists, in two-point shooting percentage, three-point shooting percentage, effective field goal percentage, free throws—like in across the board, this dude is just night and day. And it's not like he's playing an astronomical amount of minutes more than he has in previous playoff series. He's averaged around thirty, you know, over the la- over his last two playoff series, um, his mm-hmm. playoff uh, his playoff years. Let's say that. But the fact that he's just sky by his efficiency and his just raw statistical numbers is insane and i think a lot of that like you said was the pacing and not because of you know intentional but being injured and just kind of working his way back in and really hitting a stride but if we remember and you know your hoops um hoop ball mass podcast i keep saying earlier in the year he was uh potentially gonna be salary dump traded to them
0: yeah absolutely and i I, and i think you know he has had moments. I mean, he is a guy who's played high level basketball at moments in his career. Mm-hmm. So it's not completely surprising. It's I think it's more so magnified because of the stage. And so everyone's like Goran Dragic. He's doing you know X, Y, and Z at certain at this point in the playoffs. But he's really ha- been a guy, especially in Phoenix, who was the complete facilitator, complete shot dictator, shot maker, shot creator for everything that they were that they had going. So. This isn't foreign territory for a guy like Goran Dragic to be, you know, a, a guy who's looked at to to make plays. He's done it in his career um, many times, and so when you see him doing it right now, I think one of the things that sticks out to me is he has so much spacing. I mean, you have um, you have Tyler Hero on the court, then you still have you have Jimmy Butler, who you have to honor at all times. Bam is a guy who can who can shoot from outside, not necessarily looking to do that. But he can Mm -hmm. keep the floor space. And then, obviously, um, you still have – he's skipping my mind right now. Uh, Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson, who is – oh, my God. (laughs) It's hard for me to put in – like, he's an elite sniper, an elite sniper. And so when you have that type of firepower on the court and you combine it with his playmaking ability, I think it it just amplifies his efficiency in a way – that maybe he has never even um, had. And with Coach Spoelstra, I think the the thing that he does well is when he runs sets, he gives everyone options out of the set. So it's not as if the set is ran to get a bucket for that particular person. But if Gor- if if Goran's coming off a screen or if he's in a pick and roll set, he has options. Same thing for Duncan. Same thing for Tyler. Same thing for Jimmy. And to a lesser degree, Bam. So when you when you know that there are there's more than one option for you and you know what those options are, it allows you to play at a much faster pace because you know if something gets taken away, what's plan B, what's plan C? And for and for Goron, that's easy money for him. So yes, it is a little shocking to see because he's probably the unlikeliest person that you that you would see it from. But if you know his resume and his pedigree, he has been a guy who has who has thrived well in positions of having the ball in his hands and having to make something happen.
1: Yes. And you said it, the amount of weapons he has in, in, in conjunction with just how well he's played and how well he's been used to playing this style of play, just having more effective pieces, is probably a big reason for his success. And one of those weapons, I mean, aside from Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, you already mentioned him being a sniper, is someone who ha- isn't necessarily a sniper um, by reputation, but has definitely carried that through in the playoffs so far from Miami, and that's Jay Crowder. Um the dude was shooting uh, just a scorching 40%, and it dipped just a little bit because in his last game he went 2 for 10 from 3. But still, on the on the playoffs so far, 38% from 3 on 8.7 attempts a night. The dude is on fire. Um, This is a guy who, coming to Miami in the trade, was shooting 29% from 3 with Memphis. Definitely someone who can always get them up. Maybe not always the most accurate, but what have you seen from Jay Crowder in general, aside from just his hot three-point shooting that has really helped Miami from that you know other swingman position
0: I think the biggest thing that that has stuck out to me with Jay Crowder is most times on the court he's fourth or fifth option sometimes third but usually the fourth or fifth option and when you can be the fourth or fifth option operating at that high of a level um like you said knocking down threes at a high clip you don't have to run any sets for him He's going to basically get all the leftovers that that wasn't um, given out and has been, you know, a pretty much a a more offensively rounded P.J. Tucker. I mean, he's out there. He's defending at a high level. He's knocking down shots at a high level and they're not running anything for him necessarily. He's literally just keeping the floor space and knocking down shots when his number is called. And I think for and, and I think that pays huge dividends and that's highly valuable. When you can just have a guy out there that you know we they've shut everything else down, we can kick it to him in the corner, who's you know everyone's cheating off of somebody, trying to take away something. But if he can continue to do that, it makes them extremely tough to beat because as a fourth or fifth option to be able to play that well, it just it you know you just don't get that. That's really that's really like bonus money for any team.
1: Yeah, you said just just. Bonus found money right there. And again, a guy that was shooting 29% heading into Miami. And then he totally turned that around um, with increased attempts, I might add, to 44%. And then obviously going into the playoffs so far um, with that 38% opening up the floor. Because you're right, it's someone that you didn't exactly counter or, or or factor in as an offensive source, aside from a couple points here and there. But when he's been as electric as he is, it feeds into his confidence. When it feeds into his confidence, all of a sudden, you, you really see what he can do. And this is... It actually statistically isn't his career high playoff wise from three. Um, his very first year uh, he was shooting 42%, but it was on literally one attempt the game over seven games. So for all intents and purposes, this Miami year is uh his playoff round to remember. But aside from him, I don't want to. You know, we're talking so much good about Miami. I do have to ask you one guy who's perplexed me a little bit, and that's Kendrick Nunn. He went from a guy, or you go from a guy who was talking himself into thinking that he could possibly have been Rookie of the Year this season, which. I mean, I don't want to fault the man. I love a healthy bit of confidence, but no. And to go from that to barely playing in the rotation, and then when he is in the rotation just playing horribly, what do you see from Kendrick Nunn? Like, like what is – or what do you not see from him? Like, help, help listeners, help me get some kind of understanding of him because I don't really see it.
0: Well, you know, I, I think Kendrick Nunn, you know, he's had a fantastic season, and, and we have to keep in mind he's a rookie. And so True. with the rookies, True. you know, you have you have a job morant, you have a Tyler Harrow, you have Zion Williamson. And I think we get conditioned to seeing guys play at such a high level. And to his credit, he's played at a high level um a lot this season as well. It was a summer league sensation that that steamrolled right into the regular season. He was a starter, he was playing big minutes, um, scoring in double digits and and showed a lot of promise. And I mean, he still made an all rookie team, so he's mm-hmm. still um so there's still nothing to, you know, sneeze at as, as a guy. But on the flip side, I just think you're literally seeing a rookie having growing pains. I think the I think the physicality of the game has overwhelmed him a tad. I think it's been hard for him to find his shot because the playoff intensity is much different than the regular season intensity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just think he's a guy who, who this is his learning curve. Some guys have been sped up and some guys – just have to find their way. And I think that all this is, this is all a learning experience for him. And I think he'll be better for it moving forward. I just think for right now, it is what it is. It's just, it's not a series for him. He's having a hard time creating his own shot. He's having a hard time defending, which is already something that rookies have a hard time doing anyway. Then you put him on the floor and his assignment is a Marcus Smart or a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown or a Kimba Walker. And even if it's not, they're hunting him down and putting him in pick and roll where he has to make decisions. Defending guys who are very great at scoring the basketball and they're literally looking at him as food. So Mm -hmm. I think that, that, you know, it's it's, it's unfortunate that that this is happening at this time. But I think that um, Miami, they'll feel good about what will come out on the other end because he's a hard nosed guy. And I think that he'll learn from this experience. I just think that this is his time to um to get better and just learn from his experiences and carry them with him to next season but he's just a rookie going through going through the rookie ringer that's all
1: okay i appreciate that 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 reality there cuz i was ready to just throw away the whole Kendrick Nunn experience everything but <laughs> i do have that question in light of that real quick follow up because you know Goran Dragic is a free agent this year miami is trying to preserve a lot of their cap space for 2021 and with Goran Dragic being 34 going to be 35 what do you think about Miami attempting to retain him at all, or, or should they totally go for um uh, Kendrick Nunn moving forward?
0: Man, you know it's really tough to as it stands right now, they should be trying they should put a priority on bringing back Goran if the, if the price is right. Um, not a capologist or I don't have the numbers on me at the at Oh this yeah. Year. But at the same I mean, time, <laughs> if, 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 if the price is right, they should bring him back. And I mean, load management as much as you can. Um, give none and Tyler Hero as many minutes as you possibly can. Let him play a reserve role. Um, you don't necessarily need him to to play a ton during the regular season. As you know, load management has become extremely popular. And a lot of teams are trying to do it to preserve older guys or guys who have a little more tread on the tires. But if they can bring him back, there's no reason not to, unless you can find somebody that can manufacture some of the things that he does. I think that it it makes sense. I mean, he's already been in the program. There's some continuity and familiarity there and bringing him back. He knows the system. He understands what you're trying to do. And if he continues to have a strong showing like he is this postseason, it would be hard to just let him walk out the door considering what the other options are. I don't know the other options off top of my head either, but for a guy that can create, you, I think you can't have enough of those guys in today's pace and space um, NBA. You need guys who can make plays and be a secondary facilitator, find guys. And that's one thing that makes Miami um, so dangerous is because they always have a couple of guys on the court at, at one time that can create for themselves or for others. That's something that he um, that he brings to this to the team as well.
1: Totally, totally. And, you know, I just mentioned not having – having put you on the spot there, just know that you are definitely locked in when I go over the NBA uh, 2020 free agent point guard and uh point guard landscape. We're, we're going to have to bring okay. you back on for that, all right?
0: <laughs> definitely. definitely.
1: Got you, man. Okay, but any other uh, thoughts on the Heat before we move on to Boston? Does any guy you want to give a love to, or do you think we kind of covered that pretty good? Because um, we kind of went down. I get, I think we get Kendrick Nunn a little too much love over Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, but those two played well. <laughs> Kelly Lennox played well, and Bam Adebayo. I, I guess we got to talk about him for a second and the block party he had. Um, just all playoffs, but especially that big one that he threw down on uh, Jason Tatum.
0: Oh my God, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he is he is special, and people are. I think people are really starting to get now, you know, people in basketball circles, we all know how special he is, but I think the general masses are still slow to get behind the bam at a bio train, but this guy is unbelievable. He can literally guard all five positions. He can hit shots from outside, not necessarily a three point shooter, but you have to respect, you have to respect his 17 footer. He can put the ball on the ground and get to the cup. He can find open play. He's literally as complete of a big man as you'll find in today's game, and it doesn't get more versatile than him. That's I mean, true. He, he literally does every – he's – like they try to say guards are a Swiss Army knife of the team that can do a little bit of everything. He's a big guy on a team that can literally do a little bit of everything, and it's hard-pressed to find anyone else that can – that brings the same – toolbox to the table that he does i mean maybe ben simmons but ben simmons has been playing point guard majority of his career and they just moved him to the power forward this year um i mean and you got Jokic, who you know he joker is who he is there's there's only one of one of him but right below that it's bam and then you start to really look at the list and it it gets short really fast and so he's really special and i think it's it's so um it's so rare to find a guy that can fill so many gaps um, on a court at one time.
1: No, you said it. He's literally, like you said, one of the more versatile big men in the league. One of the best big men, easily in the NBA. And you're right. He leaves his his mark on so many facets of the game. Whether it is defensively making that impact offensively from distributing to rebounding. You mentioned, you know, his touch around the basket, a little bit of an outside jumper. You know, he develops even further. Not saying he's going to be like a next unicorn or anything of that sort, but he has the the capability to build onto his game and really be that anchor for the heat for years to come, especially, you know, when Jimmy Butler uh, starts to fade a little bit. You know, he's only 31, so we still have a lot of time, but just – Taking that that mantle from Jimmy Butler as the next you know guy to build for the Miami Heat, and and that alone has been uh, just a sight to see, but also something that you know has been uh, in the work for a minute now. Watching Bam Adebayo progress in his NBA career, but aside from that, let, let's 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 get to Boston real quick. Show some love to them. I mean, what, I mean, aside from. Jason Tatum being who he's been and I really have liked Jalen Brown especially in game three taking over being a lot more aggressive you know off the catch in motion attacking the basket forcing the action and getting to the foul line and putting some pressure on Miami what have you seen from Boston, I mean, a lot of their action when it comes to starting five, as we all know. Um, but, you know, you've had Gordon Hayward just get back in the mix. You've had some key bench players for Boston at different points step up. What what for you from Boston is something that's that's worth monitoring?
0: I think, I think first and foremost, I think Kemba Walker has played a little better. I think mm-hmm. that he struggled a little bit. And, I mean, it, it sucks that he's just now getting on this big of a stage. He's lost a little of his explosion in terms of getting by people. He's really struggled to get past people throughout the postseason. And because of that, it's kind of limited his game to step backs and jump shots and not able to get in the paint and, and find open shooters and things like that. But um, but he really stepped up last game. He really showed up big late in the game. And um, he really put his stamp on, on the team offensively because he's struggled a bit and he's finally turned it around and has made his mark, not as if he hasn't scored much, but he's become much more effective late in games. And I think that's the biggest thing that they'll need from him as a guy who's known to be pretty clutch throughout his career. I mean, he's known as a guy to hit big shots. And if he can continue to do that, I think they'll be in good shape moving forward because you know what Jalen Brown's going to bring. You know Jason Tatum. I think with both of those guys, I think the thing is that they have size, and the later it gets in the game, when it gets a little tighter, I think it's harder for little guards to, to try to create, and some of that has been a problem for him too. But overall, I think that his ability to, to play better late in games is, will really help Boston moving forward, and it, it, it definitely showed up this last game.
1: Oh, most definitely. I mean, he is called Cardiac Kemba for a reason. And and you're right, over these playoff games so far, just under 20 20 points a game, four rebounds, four assists, um, just under five assists a game. And and you're right, he stepped up in a major way. Shooting from three hasn't been great. It hasn't really followed him this this playoff series. A a lot of um, two-for-eight performances or one-for-nine. I mean, he's shooting 29% from three so far. But you're right, as far as being assertive, adding the extra element to Boston, someone who can play off of a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown, but can still create his own shot and be aggressive on that end. And and you're right, when he's putting pressure on Miami like that like he was and like he can continue to do, they don't have an ideal matchup for him. You know, his ability to penetrate into the lane, his quickness, his outside shooting ability. I mean, you know, at his stage of his career, Goran Dryas can't stand of him like that. Kendrick Nunn, like you mentioned, is going through, you know, the rookie the rookie syndrome, just kind of getting used to everything. And that's something that's rough for him. Um, Aside from that, Jimmy Butler can't afford to, when you have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum running loose, you can say the same thing for uh, Jay Crowder. So, you know, you're running through the list and it's like, oh, wow. You know, you don't really have a lot of guys that can really stay in front of Kemba. So you may think that he's the X factor, but I actually think the X factor is Gordon Hayward. And I want to run that by, you kind of see what you think there. Um, You know, Hayward had that serious ankle injury, kept him out for a, a big lump of the playoffs. Um, He is back now. You know, he had one pretty decent game, game three, helped Boston to that win. He did say he was a little sore afterwards, his ankle, and he was definitely tired, you know, first time back on the court in a while. But do you see Gordon Hayward as the X-Factor? In fact, let me phrase it this way. Who on, Bo- who on Boston for you is the X-Factor if they're going to win this series against Miami? Because you mentioned Kemba. It could be any of these guys. But I want to I get your take on that.
0: Um, I think it's – I actually do think it's Kemba as an X-Factor, but – I only think it, I, I think it's late game situation. I don't think it's necessarily him throughout the game because I think they can manufacture enough scoring across the board throughout games, but it's the last four minutes of a game, who can they really count on? And I think he'll have to be one of those guys. I think they brought him there to be one of those guys. But what I like about them getting Gordon Hayward back is it doesn't put the onus on Kimba to carry that throughout an entire game. I think that's I think it's tough for him. As I'm watching these games and I'm seeing him trying to put an offense, trying to have offensive responsibility for a whole game. It's kind of hurting him late in games because he just doesn't have that same pop that he would love to have. So if you get a Gordon Hayward who can kind of coast you throughout the game, be that third score or be an extra score, so to speak. Someone else on the court, that's a threat. You can take, you know, um, series off. You know, you come down and there's some possessions where maybe things aren't ran through you. You can use Gordon Hayward as another um, facilitator, um, playmaker. So it takes some of that responsibility off of Kimba so that you can have him as a big factor late in games. So I still think Kimba is the X factor, but I do think having Gordon Hayward back really helps them across the board and specifically helps um, Kimba be more effective late in games.
1: I definitely agree with that. That that makes a lot of sense as far as someone who can impact the game in a variety of ways. But like you said, most notably in crunch time. Uh, looking at Marcus Smart, since being in the starting lineup, been a big part of Bust's success and what they've accomplished 14 points, five rebounds, four assists tonight. Been shooting really solid from three, 35% on just under seven attempts a game. Um, you know, he brings a little bit of that flop, and I get a little annoyed by that flopping, but aside from that, <laughs> he does bring that grit, that leadership, and when his outside shot is falling, that's adding a whole new development to Boston in terms of being able to space the floor literally five out um, with, with Daniel Tice also being able to shoot the three, although... Not this season, not this playoffs, at least 16%, not not super great. But what do you see from uh, Marcus Smart or Daniel Tyson in general as far as your takes on how they've played around Tatum, Brown, and, and, and Walker?
0: Man, uh, Marcus Smart has done so much for Boston in these playoffs. It almost looks like his current contract is a bargain. I mean, mm-hmm. he's hitting big shots. He's guarding multiple people. He's drawing fouls. I mean, he does... All the little things that doesn't show up in the box score, but he's also scoring as well. I mean, he's had some big games and he's had some not so big games, but ultimately, I think in the bubble, he's been much more of a potent scorer than I think I can ever remember. I mean, he's even if he's having an off night, I still see him making shots, which sometimes he can just completely fall off the map and not make anything. But in this bubble, but in this bubble, He's still been someone you have to respect late in games. He's making big shots or he's getting to the cup or he's, you know, he's knocking down floaters. He's always making his mark and he's never someone that's disappearing. And I just really like the fact that, you know, sometimes he takes the defensive load off of those guys. And, you know, Jason Tatum can kind of go defend someone else that's not um, an offensive priority on the other side. Or same thing for Jalen Brown or Kimball Walker. He really shoulders the load and, is kind of the you know perimeter anchor defensively for those guys. And it's just it's it's hard to find guys like him who can do it at such a high level. I mean he's a tank. He's built um to to guard bigger bigger guards and he can stay and he's just as quick to stay in front of smaller guards. So his his contributions are invaluable. And and Daniel Tice um he's just continued to develop. I think that's one thing that maybe hasn't been discussed enough is just his ongoing development from early season to now has just been great. His ability to guard the pick and roll, his ability to to finish at the rim, his communication on defense on the back end, everything has been great for him in these playoffs, and it's just been great to watch him develop.
1: Yeah, you said it. It It's a incremental improvement that we've been able to witness watching the game that it manifests itself in moments like this where, you know, the Sage is brightened. you know, you don't have to be a star except as uh, commonly known a star in your role and being able to perform at the highest level and, you know, the best of your ability in that, in what you're assigned to do. And in both smart and, and ties, you've had both of those players step up and do exactly what's been needed. And, and it's a large part of why they've gotten to where they are right now. But, uh, you know, we got to get the take two to one Miami up, who do you see going to the NBA Finals, Lawrence?
0: Man, my pick for this series was Miami and seven.
1: Miami and seven, and you and you see no reason to switch that.
0: No, I, I, no, I, not not at the moment. I think that you know this last game was a little bit of a letdown. I expected Boston to come out, you know, with steam coming out of their nose. They were not going to be denied. And sometimes you just see it coming from a mile away. I mean, the headlines everything that was going on with them, they they feel like both games got away from them because both of them were late, you know, mm-hmm. late game execution where one team just performed a little better than the other. They got a little careless with the basketball. And so it just snowballed. But coming into the, the last game, I just kind of felt like they were going to take that one no matter what. And so I think Miami gets a chance to regroup, continue to do what they're doing. I think they do have to um, find a way and I don't know if this is necessarily something that is a huge adjustment, but they have to find a way to take away either Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. They can't let both. Of, they can't let both of those guys start get, um, getting it going. Because if they do, it's going to be much tougher. So I think they buckle down on the defensive end, and I think if they can do that and, and limit at least one of those guys to a bad night, they should be fine. But overall. The physicality just wasn't as, as um, intense as it was the first two games. If they can ramp that back up, they should be okay.
1: So for you, is just holding one of those two and and, and making that a priority for Miami to succeed.
0: Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, if if I can go to, to go down the list, I think that's one of them. I think they have to continue to guard the three point line. I think they have to continue to shoot. Well, Um, they can't have a fall off in, in that sense. So, offensively, if they continue to get what they're getting from Goran Dragic, I mean, I don't see how they can lose this series. Because going into this series, if somebody would have said Goran Dragic is going to be one of their, you know, key factors offensively, the way he has been, I think people would be like, um, I don't know if we can depend on that, and I don't even know if we can depend on that. But overall, what I've seen from them defensively, I really like, and if they could keep that up, I think it gives uh, Miami a, a slight edge. It's not a it's not a big edge because, like I said, it it I have it going seven games as is. So it's what however they win, it's going to be by a small margin. But I think that is the key to helping them is is having that physicality, understanding that these guys still haven't. Been there, so they still have to prove that they can get to the finals. Um, th- this is Jay. This is the far- furthest Jason Tatum is gone, furthest Jalen Brown is gone, and they're going to be tested.
1: That's true. And mine is already busted. I said Boston in five. Um, about that, <laughs> 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 about in that, five,
0: in five, I, Miami listen, got no respect.
1: Listen, I thought Miami kind of got lucky. I'm not gonna lie. I thought I wasn't, I, I, mm. I put Milwaukee. Uh, here's the thing. I thought Milwaukee would have no problem with Orlando. I thought Milwaukee would have won. But then, watching the way they played, like, a lot of the areas of Milwaukee came through. You know, a l- over-reliance on Giannis. Uh, not too many developments to his game aside from just, you know, running through that wall. He hadn't developed his outside jump, or A lot of uh, pressure was put on Chris Milton. I figured, okay, you know what? Miami got a good matchup. Um, Milwaukee wasn't who we thought they were. But then I thought, okay, Boston has too many weapons and Miami's been getting by on some really good performances by Jay Crowder and others that simply can't stay the way they are now. You know, Jason Tim's going to light them on fire. Jalen Brown's going to take over the rest. I, I, I may have been just a tad bit optimistic, but I did put on Twitter that the uh, congratulations to the Boston Celtics for making it to the NBA finals after they uh after Ooh. they beat the Raptors. So you I felt do. like I <laughs> 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 exactly. So so I, I feel kind of bad now. Obviously, I also feel a lot wrong. So I had to revamp, and then I said Boston in seven. So I still think at the end of the day, I'm looking at Jason Tatum as someone who can who has shown the ability to put the team on his back in a way that Jimmy Butler has done, but not as Forceful, like Jimmy Butler just hasn't had to. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. the Heat had been in a lot of close games against talent that you know has been either one-dimensional or subpar. And I'm talking about you know Indiana and and Milwaukee. I thought the Boston and their offensive attack would be a lot more different, a lot more diversified, at least among the starting five, than anything Miami's had to deal with so far. And then lastly, I really felt that. Gordon Hayward's return would make a huge difference. Um, just being that one more weapon that Miami can't quite defend adequately. So right now it's looking rough, but I'm going to stick with my Boston in seven. Um, and I know, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm going to have you back on. We'll have to re-talk about where I went wrong and and why uh, Boston let me down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not completely, I mean, you're not, you weren't off a lot. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of people who still don't believe in, in Miami and I think that, and, I, and Boston's not out of this series. It's a, it's officially a series now at two one. Um, and Gordon Hayward coming back is, is a big deal. That's not like just some guy who's a rotational player and he's going to be in the series. No, he's a guy that they really count on, and he's a guy who could provide a lot of value on the offensive end for these guys. And like you said, to make it really tough for Miami to key in on certain guys. But I, but just to speak to the Bucks for a quick, quick second. I knew I, – I had – when I saw the matchups, I knew that they would lose, and I knew that this – that was a <laughs> bad matchup just because – and I don't – and, yes, does does Giannis need to continue to develop a jump shot? Yes. Most it's, certainly. But does he – but I can't put all of this on him. I think Coach Bud has been – he was a disaster in these playoffs in terms of his game-to-game adjustments, his in-game adjustments. He didn't want – he was reluctant to play his – His um, starters, more than the minutes that they were playing in the regular season, which is ridiculous. Everyone's minutes goes up in the playoffs. You shorten the rotation. Um, But to, to ask Giannis to come down and play one on five every possession and not diversify the playbook in terms of getting him sets where he can run, you know, operate from the low post, operate from the mid post, operate from the short corner. Things where he can get closer to the basket and get get opportunities to score that doesn't that doesn't rely on him to use his sheer will and athleticism every single time is just criminal to me, and I think it's unfair to Giannis. Maybe his jump shot, maybe it doesn't get that much better, but that doesn't mean that he can't continue to be an MVP type player. Just start to get him in positions where he can be more effective and just use that as a as an as an opportunity to do something different with him. They that uh, that roster is a little bit flawed because they need a, a secondary ball handler. Eric Bledsoe isn't that guy and they need to really look at to that this offseason. I almost went into a rant. I got to get off of that, but that's all I have to say about the ball.
1: Hey, listen man, when you want to rant rant away, bro. Like this is this <laughs> is a spot for it. I'm with you. I personally Uh, Like, I don't think they should per se make a trade for Chris Paul specifically, but I do think a trade needs to be made to bring in a ball-dominant point guard and take Giannis off the ball. I think he's at his best when, you know, he's playing more like a big man or more like a hybrid big man. Play more like Bama Dabayo. You don't see Bama Dabayo bring the ball up the court and initiate the offense all the time. And if he does that, he won't find himself sitting at the top of the key all the time while defense is lax all the way off you know, let him break away, open shot. We're getting him in movement. We're getting him in positions where he can make the most of his athleticism, his sheer size and ability. And I think a lot of that goes down to somebody control the game. Someone like Chris Paul, um, someone who's unlike an Eric blood. you know, you can actually trust with at the end of the day, uh, maybe maybe, George Hill, I still would have wanted to upgrade for George Hill even five, six years ago. But George Hill isn't that player oh, yeah. right now. <laughs> exactly. And they, ju- and the problem with them is they just don't have – they have a lot of veterans who have very little upside and honestly aren't what Milwaukee needs right now to succeed. They're not going to push them to a nice level. I'm sorry. But 33-year-old George Hill, 34-year-old uh, um, Wesley Matthews, while still being very good, very capable players – are not going to be able to chase around Duncan Robinson for 40 minutes a night and have legs to give you shots on the other end and initiate your offense against pressure, you know, and take some weight off of Giannis. And and that it just comes down to that. I do think honestly the work on an obvious weakness of him because eventually teams are going to realize that, hey, all he's going to do is try to get to the rim. And it's not like sh- the days of Shaq where you post up and you're that dominant. Like, as easier as it is for the offensive player now to – you know enforce their will it's also easy for the defense to make adjustments and and make it tougher and Giannis doesn't have a backup or anything after that's like oh well you got me I'll get my 25 and 15 and six assists and you'll get the win and you know we'll call that a day like that's what I'm hoping he adds some uh diversity to
0: yeah I, yeah and I, and like I say I think it's easy to to run through a weekly schedule in the, in the regular season and you play Orlando one night and and you go out and you play Phoenix and then you round out the weekend and you play a Saturday NBA, um, NBA on on ESPN game and it's mm-hmm. against, against the Lakers. So that's the biggest game you had of the week. But you really, you know, you stomped out all your competition throughout the week. And these guys aren't necessarily um, putting a premium on, on game planning like they would for a playoff series. And ultimately, I think it would unlock the entire roster if they had a Drew Holiday, if they had a Damian Lillard, if they had – a younger Chris Paul would be fine but i mean if you're try- if you're in win now mode and you got to go get Chris Paul and that's what that's your best bet you got to do it because i mean at this point you can't explain letting Mac- Malcolm Brogdon walk out the door and he's yep. in and Greece on the on the verge of being a free agent so you have to do whatever you can to try to help the situation but but yeah i i just think that roster's flawed and i think that he's he's gotten some some criticism deservedly so but it shouldn't be um, it shouldn't be glossed over. The coaching job that has been done to maximize his abilities because they literally came into this season and and did the exact same thing. It would it would be like if Miami allowed Duncan Robinson, as great of a shooter as he is, to just shit, sit in the corner and and just get, gather looks like PJ Tuck, Tucker does. It's like you're not even using the guy. You're, no. you're you're literally putting him in the box and he's not allowed to do. You know you you're not unlocking all of his. Offensive capabilities by having him stand in the corner. So, same thing applies to Giannis. You having him being the primary ball handler and your primary scorer, but not necessarily your best shooter, is a recipe for disaster, no matter what round you're playing in, because every team's just going to build a wall. You said
1: it. You know what? This was. I'm glad we did a, a deep dive into Milwaukee. I like being able to cover all facets of the NBA. So we have to go down to them more. In fact. This opens up a nice avenue for some uh, deeper dive off-season for NBA teams. Speaking of, we got to talk about your Mavericks. But before we even go to that, that's another episode, another another time. Let, let's look into the um, <laughs> Lakers and Mavericks. I mean, not Lakers and Mavericks. That's what I'm thinking. Let's look at Lakers and Nuggets. Um, Right now, Lakers are up 2-0, courtesy of a clutch three-pointer by Anthony Davis over so their outstretched hands of Nikola Jokic as uh, Jeremy Grant and Mason Plumlee made the defensive errors of of just... They just made a very special defensive error. Um, and now the Lakers are up two games to zero over a Nuggets team that has really fought and scrapped this entire time to get to where it is. Real quick, just rapid fire, what are your thoughts, um, observations... Let's just do it in general. We'll talk on both teams on this one, on the Lakers, on the Nuggets, and, and just where they are right now. Because uh, tonight, by the time that people listen to this, it will be game three of that series. So what is kind of where we're at? A little reset there. Um, I,
0: think, I think the biggest thing is we finally, for, his, for as talented of a guy as Anthony Davis is, we finally have a signature playoff game to reference for Anthony Davis. True that. It was. It was really. It was really. <laughs> good, it was really good to see him have a really big game and then put the punctuation mark on it with that being the game winner. I think it was really. I think it was a. Um. It was an opportunity for him to continue to establish himself as a great player because so far the knock on him is he's great, but he doesn't get you anywhere. And I think two things can be true at one time because you know people love to run to Twitter and people love to, you know. All, the, all of a sudden start bringing up the quote unquote receipts and saying, oh, everyone thought he didn't have any dog in him or everyone thought that, you know, he couldn't do this and couldn't do that. Well, two things can be true at one time. Yes, he has had trouble um, adjusting to being a guy who's an uplifter, a guy who who wins in, in spite of what uh, what his surroundings may be. But he also, we can be looking at a guy who's evolving into a dog, who's evolving into a, a dominant scorer, a dominant rebounder. Because even in the first game against the Houston Rockets, he wasn't, it, it looked as if he was timid, allowing PJ Tucker to defend him one on one. James Harden is defending him one on one, and these guys are yelling, no help. I mean, that's extremely disrespectful for a guy who's universally known as a top five player. And the guy that's guarding you is literally, you know, Four, five, six inches shorter than you, and so for him, and so it was a good adjustment for him in that series to where they can't defend. So he's just gonna crash everything. So they couldn't get up. You, there's, you're not gonna grow six inches during halftime or overnight. And he just, <laughs> owned, he just owned the series by being bigger than everyone and didn't necessarily have to revolve around where he was posting up. Which I still have a problem with. I think he's a little. I, for me, he's a little. He's not aggressive enough in getting to spots where he can make the game easy for himself. He allows himself to get pushed out further where he has the triple thread and jab step and then shoot uh, fadeaway jump shots, which he's great at. But that's another level of, of evolving for him. But nonetheless, don't want to take anything um, away from him. He has been playing at an extremely high level um, since that game, after that game won against Houston. I've seen somewhat of a different guy. And for him to have a game like that, it was just it was just wonderful to see, because I think he deserves it um, after having so many years in New Orleans where he didn't come up um, big or, you know, even this year where people were questioning him early in the playoffs. I feel like the narrative changes literally game by game. But that was something for him that was really great to see.
1: No, I'm with you. And and even though what you called out about improvement that he can make, I mean, on the one hand, you're right, plenty of time. On the other hand, you know, we'll be 27. It's all that time to evolve, but it just shows you that he's he he's made rapid improvement to his mid-range jumper. When he first came in, that wasn't a strength of his game. He could definitely flash out and shoot. I would compare more to like a Bam Bio in terms of something that, something that he could do, but, you know, you definitely wouldn't mention among one of his uh, great strengths, but he's worked on, improved on it enough that he likes it to be like one of his signature weapons, but Sometimes it does feel like he kind of, you know, gives the defense that. Like, okay, I'll be pushed out of position. You know, I'm just going to face you up and shoot over you. And because he's been so hot in these playoffs, uh, you know, starting from Portland, when he's really taking uh Yusef of Nurkic off the dribble and just burying pull-ups over him, he's in a rhythm right now that is working. And even when he gets there, it's like, you know, his outside jumper gives him confidence to take you off the dribble. Once he's able to do that, then he's more willing to stretch it out. And then you have the full evolution of someone who can still power and finish inside. But you're right. If he continues to go to his bread and butter right now, the Nuggets don't have the personnel. In fact, looking into the playoffs, I mean, it'd be interesting if if the Lakers go through, uh, as I think they will, in a Lakers-Miami where it'd be Anthony Davis versus Bam out of bio. That would be intriguing. But aside from that, I don't see another team that has the ideal matchup to stop. Um, Anthony Davis that is still in the postseason. And so you're right. Sticking to his strengths would make him even more dominant. But as you said, you can't take away from what he's done so far because this game was a signature moment in a signature playoff experience for him so far. He's had some dominant games, some great performances in that shot. You know, that's the shot that's going to go in the in the highlight reels of Anthony Davis big moments. I'm um, hopefully the first of May to come. But aside from that, what else on on L.A. side do you see, you know, aside from LeBron, who's just, you know, he had a horrible second half in game Two. Um, Anthony Davis really put the team on his back and carried them through. But aside from that, LeBron's just been LeBron in the playoffs. Right.
0: Yeah, he has. And I, th- I, th- I think at this, age, I think we're so accustomed to seeing him play at such a high level all throughout a game. I really when I watch him I see a guy that's that's picking his spots more than ever. I think he defers a lot more than he ever has. I think he's he's not necessarily taking plays off, but he understands where he can where he can get his rest, where he can find time to not necessarily be in the mix of every play whether that's on defense or offense and so i think because of that you will see games where he kind of you know he's out of it in the second half or out of it in the first half i think he got the team out to a great start and then he just kind of coasted but i think having rondo on the court really takes a lot of stress off of his shoulders having a secondary facilitator a guy who can see the court just like he can and he can trust them to make plays and i think that's been I think that's been a world of a difference for him um, since Rondo has been back. And ultimately it is it has actually strengthened the team because it's allowed them to do things and, and run different sets and have different looks where, you know, maybe it's going to Danny Green who can't convert on that play, or maybe it's going to um Caruso, who, you know, he's a he's a good player, but no one on the floor sees the sees the game as well as Rondo and, and LeBron James. So Having a guy like that has really paid big dividends, and that's one of the biggest um, keys that I've seen with the Lakers is that having that secondary facilitator has done wonders for them offensively, and it's unlocked so many different avenues that they've tried to explore since he's been back.
1: Oh, yeah, and you mentioned, I mean, besides Rondo's great basketball IQ alongside LeBron James, you've also had just great bench play from the Lakers in general. You mentioned Rajon Rondo, Markeith Morris has been huge, especially when the Lakers go small. Dwight Howard's been great for the Lakers recently as, they have, as they've gone big to match up with Denver, but you have different pieces step up to really give a boost. Alex Caruso, as you mentioned, so they're getting some, some much-needed um, help from their bench that, you know, all season long, the Lakers bench wasn't exactly looked at as the strength. It was really the Clippers, and so it's funny that, you know, the Clippers totally out. <laughs> Sorry, I have to laugh about that. <laughs> but <laughs> when the clip is totally out, the Lakers bench, you know, showing, hey, you know, we can make timely contributions and play just as well when called upon.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think part of that is, like I said, having that secondary facilitator, because before he was before he came back, it was really Caruso who, who was kind of being a guy who was being the table setter offensively. And because of that, things just were a little off. So then you get. You get Kyle Kuzma trying to go one-on-one. You get uh, Marquise trying to go. Like, a lot of these guys need to be set up. And because you got Rondo now out there when LeBron takes a break or if they're out there together, a lot of these guys are, have now found their comfort zone of just being able to finish and not necessarily having to create something on their own. So it's just created more cohesion, which ultimately, like you said, has led to better play um, for everyone who's been coming in on the supporting cast because now they're playing – in their natural surroundings of okay, this is all I need to do. I don't need to do any more than what's gonna be spoon fed to me from LeBron or spoon fed to me from uh Rajon Rondo. I can just go out here and just be me. And you're seeing that from these guys. Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's been big for them and a the reason why they are where they are right now, you know, in the playoffs two up in the Western Grams finals, uh, two games away from the NBA finals, but going to Denver, we can't take away anything from them knocking down the Clippers. Ha <laughs> Sorry. I have to do it again. Um, and just really working their way back from consecutive three, one deficits to, to fight their way here. And you know, while well, yes, they're playing a team that is, you know, better, not only in my opinion, talent wise, but also mental aptitude. But what have you seen, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic for starters but really you know the performance that they've gotten from Michael Porter Jr and Gary Harris and others who have really helped Denver so far in the in in the playoffs.
0: Um I think one of the things that I saw first and foremost I think the Lakers have kind of slowed down the Jamal Murray uh, Nikola Jokic uh, pick and roll mm. that was that was nearly unstoppable and they were they were surgical with running that against the Clippers they, the Clippers had no idea how to defend that and once they got rolling and once their confidence was there and once they seen what they can get out of it, they just relentlessly kept going to it. And I think that I, I think the, the Lakers knew that. And because of that, they've done a good job of not allowing, you know, very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, they're not allowing mismatches that will dictate what's going to happen next. So they've either put LeBron on Jamal Murray, which he can't guard him all game, but situationally, especially in the second half, that's what they've been going to. And then they'll have AD on uh, Jokic. And so when you switch, you just get LeBron on Jokic, which that's, you know, the Lakers will take that. They don't really feel like Jokic can completely take advantage of LeBron. But what what they want to do is dictate what you're going to do, which is if you collapse, Jokic is the best in the league at being able to facilitate from the post area, which a lot of, po- which a lot of post guys can't do, and which has kind of made the, the post area almost extinct in the NBA today because most post guys, they're literally just trying to get a basket. With Nikola Jokic, he's, he's facil- facilitating from the post area, waiting for you to make a move, and he's going to make the correct read every single time. So now that you get LeBron on him, it's not as easy. And then you have Anthony Davis guarding a wing guy, and that's not easy for the guy trying to score on him. And I think that's really slowed things down for them. But ultimately, I think for the Nuggets to to have a little more success, they need a, a reliable third score. And with Jamal Murray and, and Joker having so much responsibility – they're going to need a Michael Porter Jr. to be bigger. They're going to need Gary Harris to hit a few more shots. They're going to need a little more Paul Millsap. It doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be someone it doesn't have to be the same person every single time, but in, on a nightly basis for the rest of this series, they need to have a definitive third guy who can get it going. And a lot of times that would be Will Barton, but obviously he's not in the bubble. So someone else will have to step up and shoulder that load because if they slow down that pick and roll, someone else has to pick up the pace. That is true,
1: and I'm looking a lot at Michael Porter Jr., who offensively, you know, can definitely do it, but defensively, you know, he's so bad at times that, you know, Mike Malone just recently had P.J. Dozier out there, who defensively is great, but missed a bunch of key free throws down the stretch of that game that might have helped the Nuggets really put a, a more sizable lead on the Lakers in Game 2, and that didn't happen. But a large part of, you know, people wondering why he was playing, I think a large part of that was the defensive ability that he was able to put on the floor that Michael Porter Jr. just wasn't. Because the Lakers, LeBron and, and, and Rondo, like you said, will just ruthlessly pick at him they will make the switch they will go at him again and again to play him off the floor and that is something that is unfortunate for you know porter he needs to work on that defensive ability for sure iq awareness he has the physical gifts there but just making sure he's in the right spots but aside from that you're right that that third guy has to step up somewhere i mean even if it's by committee over a set of games let's say jeremy grant he can hit a couple threes he did well OKC, okay, you know last year um, you know, he goes off for like four or five threes. That's some offense. Paul Millsap, he had a big 13 point uh, third quarter in, against the Clippers. He can go off. That's somebody. You know, you might have to do it by committee without Will Barton. Gary Harris still working his way back, you know, completely into health, but he's played big so far. Maybe he knocks down a couple shots and that creates some conflict. Where he, you know, takes some shots off the dribble. But like you said, I, I'm in complete agreement there. The Nuggets need to find that other guy that can take it because. The Lakers can go at Murray and Jokic, and as good as they are, you know, between Jokic and Murray and, and LeBron and and Adia, I, I gotta take the latter.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I I think that that's the only way that they can really try to turn this thing around is they need someone else that can that can score, and I know it can be Michael Porter Jr., but that that can be spotty at times, and it can be by committee, but it needs to be someone every game and it and it can't be just he's kind of getting it in the flow of things that are happening on the floor. It needs to be something where now the Lakers have to make him a make him a, a emphasis on defense. Because yeah Michael Porter Jr. I think he had 15 last game, but no one really remembers that 15. And it was kind no. of a whole um in the midst of you know just being in transition going up and down. He's made a couple of baskets. It needs to be someone putting their stamp on the game like hey, no, you guys have to check me. And if they they can do that, I think that it actually opens up some things for other people. But until then, the Lakers don't have to do much um, um, to deviate from what they're doing right now, which is stopping the pick and roll with Nikolai and Jamal trying to find scoring or trying to find a mismatch or trying to find a way to dictate coverage to find someone else. That won't work this series like they've seen it throughout the playoffs prior to seeing the Lakers.
1: Nope, you said it, and that's the truth. And, and with that being said, I throw it back to you, Lawrence, in terms of you got the Lakers, you got the Nuggets, Lakers up two games to zero, game three tonight. By the time the folks be listening to this, who do you think is going to the finals in the Western Conference?
0: Oh, I think it's the Lakers. I think, I, I think defensively they're the probably the best team left in the bubble. Miami is a, a very close second, but Miami just doesn't have the size and versatility that the Lakers do, and I think they just cause too many problems for the Nuggets to um, to advance. And so I have the Laker, I have the Lakers advancing in this series. And I say six games because I, I respect the Denver Nuggets. and I think one of the biggest things is they've we've actually watched them grow throughout this play- playoffs, uh this playoff run because I think the knock on Denver is, yeah, they're talented. But are they, you know, do they have do they have star quality talent that can lead you in a playoff series? And we we know that Joker, we know that Joker is is extremely talented, but can he lead? We know Jamal Murray is extremely talented, but can he lead? And he, both of those guys are their max max superstar caliber players or looking for them to be superstars. And I think they finally have turned the corner to be that, but they've ran into a buzzsaw known as the Lakers and yep. in the matchup is just it is it, it's just too compatible for being able to um put slow down what the Denver Nuggets want to do um to bring success offensively.
1: No, I I totally agree with you and that it, they just it's it's not a it's a testament to how well the Nuggets have played thus far. That it's, uh, that it's been competitive, that we're not, you know, giving them a, a gentleman's sweep or, or, or a sweep. It's going to be a a five six-game series. I agree with you on that as well. But yeah, right now it, it it's no sight on them. The Lakers are just the the best team left. And you know, when you bring in a guy like LeBron and, and a guy like AD playing at the level that he's at, the, your hard press is any team to really match up with that, especially when you get valid, uh, valuable role-player contributions. So, I'm totally with you there. Time will tell. We'll have to definitely link back up on that. But, you know, what, man, we, we had ourselves a good, almost a darn near hour, kind of breaking down both of these games and everything, man. Uh, I, I got to thank you first or, or again for coming on and talking with me. Do know that you will be back on again. And uh, do you have any like, closing takes, NBA hot takes, anything you want to share or plug or anything here?
0: Man, I don't have any hot takes today. I might have, I, I might have some uh, here in the future. Okay. But uh, but as usual, like I say, I'm the I'm the Dallas Mavericks Hoop Hoopball podcast leader and so you can find me at Hoopball Mavs but also at LB said it. Um literally LB said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh so yeah, so as usual, us in the Hoopball uh family we all we're all on Twitter all the time for these games and even throughout the offseason, season we will be but I'll definitely have some things to throw at you maybe next time. I just didn't have any hot takes for this one. Still looking at a few things that 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 maybe need to materialize before I put my put my stamp on it.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm with you, man. You want to have some measured takes? I, I I totally understand that. And you know, come off season, just know that you're penciled in for uh the the free agent uh point guard uh, evaluation. So, oh so yeah, make sure I, you know I'm ready.
0: That. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm ready. To consider it done. <laughs> yes, sir.
1: You're on notice, man. I appreciate that. Thanks again for coming on, man. Thank y'all for listening. Again, you heard it. LB said it. Check that out. Check out Hoopball Maps. Find me at Corbin NBA. Hoopball presentation, as I always say, at footballtweets-ball.com. Ladies and gentlemen, stay frosty, y'all. It's been real. All right, y'all.